morning. I am glad to be with you together, whether it's in this room over in North or together with us on our live stream. It's just an interesting time every Sunday for me to think through the way we're doing a church. So to my masked friends in here, welcome to the Unmask in North. And just wanted to let you know, again, if, if you're watching live stream because you think, I just don't want to come to church and worship in a mask, we do on Thursday nights at 7 and on Sunday morning in our North Auditorium have a, an opportunity to where masks are optional. And then still so many of you join us through the live stream, but it's good to worship the Lord together and to declare what we've declared this morning. Before we jump into the text... There is some changes uh, in the works for how we're continuing to gather. Uh, again, we have to we do a weekly update. If you don't watch those in two weeks, not next week, but in two weeks, we're going to go to two service times. Not two old times, but to two service, new service times, a nine o'clock or a 1045, all right? And so... If you're watching on live stream, that means you can either watch at 9 or at 10.45, we'll live stream both. But if you're coming to campus, again, we'll have two services, 9 o'clock, 10.45, nursery and preschool, as well as Bible studies and classes for our elementary age children. So we, we are seeking uh, to continue to say, how can we continue to meet together as the body of Christ? So... Uh, I can't tell, but I hope you're smiling behind those masks. <laughs> this is a weird thing for me up there, so s- smile with those eyes. Yeah, there, there you go. This will, you have to do some more head nodding. How about that? Who knows? All right, so one of the things I just came in last week after uh, the weekend services, just encouraged again. For those watching on live stream, we had an individual watching up in Tennessee and as a result of last week's service, uh, committed her life to Jesus. And <clears throat> obviously thankful for what God is doing. But remember this, he does his work through his people. And so there really are people all over, not only this country, but really all over the world who can be a part of what God is doing here at CFC. They might not know it unless you invite them. So can I just encourage you? This was the invitation of a brother. So imagine his heart to hear that his sister, having become involved through live stream, has committed her life to Jesus. Uh, Pray and, and invite, would you, for the work of God in these unique times. All right. And... Today is Jackie and I's 34th wedding anniversary. So thankful for that. All right, turn to Genesis 17, if you would, please. We're going to jump into this chapter and see that as we're working through Genesis, we're continuing to see our God revealed to us. This is the book of beginnings. And this chapter is going to be divided into two significant sections. The opening eight verses, and then beginning in verse nine through the rest of the chapter. chapter, Two very significantly different parts. The first section begins like this. So if you turn there, if not, 
the, the words will be up here on the screen. Genesis chapter 17. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. Now pause for a second. Is that new or has that happened before? Okay, so if you're new with us, you need to understand this is not a first time. The Lord has appeared to Abram multiple times since Genesis 12. So the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Has the Lord said that to Abram before? Yes, he has. Multiple times he has said that. But here's what happens now in verse 3. Abram fell on his face and God talked with him. You know why Abram fell on his face? Not because, just because the Lord appeared to him, because the Lord has appeared to him prior to this. And not just because of what he said, because the Lord had said that to him before. You know why Abram fell on his face? Because he was 99 years old. No, uh, uh, yes, that's part of it. But how old was Abram at the end of chapter 16? Last verse of chapter 16 tells us his age. 86. The first verse of chapter 17 tells us his age. How old? 99. I don't think that's an accident. I think the inspired word of God is revealing to us that... 13 long years have passed. And how had chapter 16 ended? With Abram sleeping with his wife's servant in order to try to help God to produce a son. And it blew up the home. So what do you think Abram may have wondered for 13? long years have I disqualified myself have I blown it too big see I think this is a powerful moment 13 years of silence and the Lord shows up and the Lord speaks and Abram falls down with unbelievable joy and gratitude that God has not left him. God has not abandoned him. God appears to him. And what's he say to him? He says, what I told you before is still true. So I don't want you to miss the fact that you and I blow it just like Abram did. We do things that we go, it was foolish, it was wrong, it was sinful, and maybe in your heart, you've wondered, have I ruined it? Has it been one too many times? Has this been the the straw that breaks the camel's back? So when God shows up and God speaks to Aram, I think he falls on his face with that reminder again, that this unchanging hope we have is that grace abounds. You know what I mean by that? That get grace, God's love towards us, God's goodness to us, not dependent on our good, but totally in him. See, this is such, such 
a gift to Abram that the Lord appears to him and the Lord speaks to him. The Lord says to him, as for me, behold, my, he doesn't call it the covenant, he says my covenant. And it's, it's his covenant because he made it with himself in Genesis 15, remember? He didn't make it dependent upon Abram. Otherwise, it would have been the straw that broke the camel's back. Otherwise, it would have been, okay, we're done. I'm going to choose somebody else. But because it's God's covenant with Abram, he says, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. Now watch this. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of multitude of of nations. Abram, exalted father. Abraham, father of multitudes. Folks, do you understand? You might think, well, Abram got upgraded to Abraham because of what he had done. Good. But actually, it's totally grace abounding. God gives him a new name in spite of what he had done, not because he was good, but because God was and is what? Gracious. Grace abounds. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. In other words, Abram, I will be faithful even when you are faithless. Now don't just write it down. Ask yourself, is that true for us today. As children of God, will he be faithful even when we are faithless? Grace abounds. I will never leave you. I've set my spirit upon you. The seal, the guarantee of your inheritance in the saints. Hey, don't, don't misunderstand. Can you and I do foolish and sinful things that will make a mess of our lives? Yes, we can. Does that mean God will give up on us? God will abandon us? No. Hey, we may make a mess and deal with the consequences of that mess, but God says, I love you, I love you, I love you, not because of what you do, but because of who I am, because I made a covenant with you, because I am working on your behalf. Folks, again, smile behind the mask if you're wearing a mask. This could not be better news because we're all like Abraham, Abraham now, people who blow it, people who do wrong, and God is gracious. Grace abounds. He's faithful even when you're faithless. Now watch this. Part of what Abraham did in blowing it was he defiled the marriage. He, he acted like, well, it's just me. Sarah is not a part of this. I can actually produce God's blessing of a son with another woman. But God in Genesis 17 doesn't just speak to Abram and change his name to Abraham. If you jump to verse 15 in, seven, in chapter 17, if you again look at it, see it for yourself. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, she, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. What joy for Abraham now to go, baby, Sarah, no, no, Sarah, no, Sarah, God has changed your name. God has not abandoned you. 
He has treated us as one. Why? Because marriage makes two people one. Listen, married folks, every married folk in here, every married folk, listen. God makes two one. He wants to work in each of you. And when we operate independently, we make a mess of our marriage. And I don't think it's any accident that Genesis 17, God speaks to each one of them. He makes a promise to each one of them. He blesses each one of them, even after they had tried to make a division between them. Grace abounds. Now watch, back to what he says to Abraham in verse 7. I will establish my covenant between, whose covenant was it again? I don't, 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 I don't want you ever get tired of going, it's his covenant. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting, you know what that means? An everlasting covenant. These three words, don't miss them. To be God. Two more. To you. Think about those five words. To be God. To you. To who? To Abraham and his descendants. Now, understand, there's a huge difference for, for me to say, you'll be my God. What, what am I saying if I say to him, you'll be my God? You'll be my leader. I will trust in you. I'll worship you. You'll be above everything else in my life. That's dramatically different than God saying, I will be God to you. When he says, I'll be God to you, what's he saying? Do you know? I'm going to show you in a moment. And I hope you'll never forget it. That God says, oh, I want you to choose me as your God, but I will be God to you. Not because you've been good. Not because you've always been faithful. But because it's my covenant with you. I will be God to you. Here's it explained by the scripture. Instead of my words, listen to the word of God. Jeremiah chapter, 20, chapter 32. He says, they shall be my people. And I will be their God. See, it's not them saying he will be our God. It's God saying, I will be their God. And he explains, here's what I mean. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them Good, And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. I will rejoice. This is what it means for him to be God to you. I will rejoice over them to do them good and will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. You ever know that God said that about himself? We've said a thousand times for him to be our God is to love him with all of our heart and soul, mind and strength. But flip it. 
It's his covenant, and he says, I'll be God to you, which means, did you see the word that was repeated four times in that passage? To be God to us, ultimately, in a word, means what? Did you miss the word? It was repeated four times in Jeremiah. Good. I will work good for you. I will do good for you, and I'll do good for your children. To be God to Abram is to say, I will work for good for you. With all my heart, with all my soul, good to you. Now, is that just good for Abram? Or is it good for his descendants as well? The the covenant was with Abraham and his descendants to do what? What's the word? Uh, Don't miss it. The word is You don't like to talk behind your mask. The word is what? It's good. I will do good to you. To be God to you is to do good to you. And you're a descendants. Here's the beauty of that. That's why I want you to pay attention. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Heirs according to promise. So when he says, I make a covenant with Abraham and his descendants to do good, to do good, to do good, to do good. And then he says, if you're in Christ, you're Abraham's descendants. What is he saying to you? Do good. I will do good to you. I will do good to you. I will do good to you. I don't know if you've ever connected this, but Jeremiah 32 is just Paul repeating it in Romans 8. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are calling to his purposes. He will be God to us who are his children, those of us who are in Christ. He will be God to us. And in a word, what does that mean? Good. I will do good to you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is always working for good in your life? If you ever doubt, here's where you go. It's what Paul says. Four verses later. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You see, when you wonder, God, I thought you were going to do good to me, but I got some, if this is good, it sure comes in some strange packages. Does God good, God's goodness come in some strange packages? Yeah, you may go, if God was going to do good for me, why do I have cancer? If God was going to do good to me, why am I unemployed? If God is doing good to me, why can't we have children? Does God's goodness come in strange packages? Yes? Watch, don't miss it. No stranger than the cross. The ultimate expression of the goodness of God that he will be God to us is the cross, that the perfect son of God took the wrath, the penalty, the punishment for all of sin, for all of mankind, for all of time. 
He took all of that wrath and he poured it out on his perfect son. There is no stranger package than the cross displaying the goodness of God. And so whatever God is working for good in your life, don't doubt it. Go to the cross and say to yourself again, this is the ultimate demonstration that you love me, that you are being God to me. That if you can work the greatest good, the salvation of mankind from this package, you can work good out of whatever strange package that shows up in my life. That is the power of the cross, the goodness of God displayed. So that is why we're going to pause right now before we look at the rest of the passage, and hopefully you got one of these on the way in. If you're at home watching, we're gonna take the elements of the Lord's Supper. So if you need to get up from where you're watching and grab something that you would use to remember the body and the blood of Jesus. Here, for sterile reasons, which I'll just say again, the cross was not sterile. So this is a little counter cross. But these packages have two seals. The first seal you pull off and it reveals simply the little unleavened wafer, the reminder Jesus said of what? His body broken in our behalf. And then if you can hold that and peel the second seal. You have the juice, the reminder of the blood of Christ. This morning, again, if you're at home, give you a few moments to grab your elements in here, a few moments to prepare them. Because it's, it's a little functional. And in all the function, let's not miss. What is being revealed to us in a word? Good. It's a strange thing for an outsider to watch a people gather and celebrate such a brutal act, crucifixion. But it's because we know what is foolishness to the world is salvation to those who believe. It is salvation to believe that Jesus, the Son of God, gave his body so that you might be forgiven. That he shed his blood so that you might be forgiven. That he would make a covenant with you. That he would be good and always only do good. That he would be your God. Be God to you if you believe in him. And so, just pause. Have you trusted in Jesus? This is the reminder that our salvation is not by our works. It's by our believing in him. 
If you have never trusted in Jesus and you are listening right now and you know you've made a mess of your life, the solution is not for you to try and clean it up and make it better. The only way you can be forgiven and made new is by trusting in Jesus. And these are the reminder, Jesus said, of what he has done for you. And that he will always do good to his children. Let's take in remembrance of our good God, our gracious Savior, faithful even when we are faithless. Father, as you spoke to Abram and he fell on his face, we pause in this moment and we do worship you. We worship you as our faithful Savior. Thank you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus, to take the wrath that we deserved. Thank you that you are working good towards your children. So let me, let me in this moment invite you, whatever strange package of heart is going on in your life right now, if you are trusted in Jesus, you are a child of God, he will be God to you, he will do good. Would you, as an act of faith right now, say thank you God for this heart. Thank you for this strange package, thank you that you love me and you could not love me more. But you thank him for the heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you remain to be our good shepherd, always 
working in every moment of every day. Let's declare it again with Matt. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so is the act of faith that each and every day when we experience what we think of good and when we experience that which we think of as bad, that we go, no, you have declared you will be God to me. You will be good to me. So I trust you. I don't always understand In fact, there's lots of times I don't understand. I don't need to understand. What's the verse say? We trust in the Lord with all our heart. We don't lean on our own understanding, but we acknowledge him in all our ways and believe he is good. Abraham fell on his face before the Lord because he had been good to him, faithful, even when he had been faithless. So now, back to Genesis chapter 17, and with God appearing to Abram, and now Abraham again speaking to him, giving him a new name, he declares to him there will be a unique mark of God upon his friends. So read along Uh, Pick it up, verse 10 in your Bible, 10, 11, and 12. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. Whose covenant, by the way? (laughs) This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. So he gives him a new name. He reiterates his covenant with him. And he says, now there will be a mark that will define that this is my covenant with you. And the mark of that covenant is circumcision. And it is, according to verse 13, circumcision. Thus, my covenant, whose covenant? (laughs) His covenant. My covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. So it is a circumcision of the flesh. Now, I think probably most of you know what circumcision is, but maybe not. So in an awkward moment like this, better for me to simply read from the Mayo Clinic, what is circumcision? Circumcision is the surgical removal of the skin covering the tip of the penis. Just kind of hard to read. 
circumcision after the newborn period is possible, but it's a more complex procedure. Is Abraham past the newborn period? Way, 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 way past. 99 years old, and all the servants who are way older than the newborn period, Ishmael, who would be how old? Can you do your math? 13 years old. All these adult males to be circumcised. Which is why verse 23 says, And Abraham said unto the Lord, But Lord, Noah got a rainbow as his sign. Please, God, let me have a rainbow. <laughs> okay, that's not what verse 23 says. <laughs> but come on, could he not have thought that? Really, God? <laughs> What's up with that? A rainbow, so sweet and colorful and nice. Circuit, really? You want me to do what? Verse 23 actually says something pretty dramatically different. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all the servants who were born in his house and all who were brought, bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin, when? In the very same day as God had said to him. He didn't wait. I guess he thought, oh, I'm not going to sleep till this is over, so let's go ahead. Except, do you notice, according to verse 23, who got circumcised? Ishmael and all the other men. Abraham? Not in verse 23. But he does. Verse 24, now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Whose covenant was it? God's covenant. How long was the covenant? It was an everlasting covenant. Now remember that word verse we looked at in Galatians? And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So if you're an heir, what's that mean? You should be circumcised, right? Right? Is circumcision required for every descendant of Abraham? Okay, suddenly you're like, whoa, okay, this got really personal really fast. Should every descendant of Abraham be circumcised? Just in this moment, I see why denominations started right here. Yes, no, no. I mean, really, if you trusted in Jesus today, the elders will meet you. After the service. <laughs> but it's an everlasting covenant. Every male should be circumcised. And we are his descendants, yes or no? So, one more time. Should we be circumcised? 
For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the, say it with great joy, the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. So, now, one more time, should every person in Christ be circumcised? Yes, absolutely. Not a circumcision of the flesh, that's a medical decision. But should every person in Christ, as part of the everlasting covenant toward Abraham's descendants, that I will be God to you, be circumcised? Absolutely, a circumcision of the heart. And listen, here's the beauty of it. It's not of the foreskin, it's the heart. And it's not done by man, it's done by God through what we'll see in Jesus. And it's not something that you do to yourself, it's something that it's done for you. And in him, you were. See, you maybe didn't know this. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of whom? Of Christ. You see, it is done by Christ. To whom? to all who are in him. Because if we are in him, we are descendants of Abraham. So circumcision of the foreskin of the flesh was a foreshadowing of a circumcision that God would do among all of his people in their heart. And what is it? It is a removal, but not a removal of a foreskin. It is a removal of my former slavery to sin. That's what Colossians 2 just told us. It is that removal of the body of flesh, not the flesh like in this physical body, but the flesh in that is the sinful nature, sinful desires that we have been born with. They are circumcised by God in Christ. What's that mean? They are removed in the same way, again, as, as unusual as this sounds, in the same way that Abraham removed the foreskin of the males in his house, what God has done is he has removed our slavery to sin when we became in him. There has been a cutting of your heart. It's not something you do. It's something that has been done for you by God in Christ, the removal of our sin, our slavery to it. Romans 6 says it this way, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. You see, when we place faith in, in Jesus, don't miss this, do I have your eyes please? 
When we place faith in Jesus, we are identifying with what he has done. We are making ourselves part of what he has done. Give you a quick example. Whatever football team or whatever sports team that you love, that you wear their hats or their shirts or you watch them and you cheer for them, when if your college football team wins the national championship, you think and you say, lots of you say this, we, we won it, we. And, and some spouse will go, were you on the field? Right? Were you there? Did you have the uniform in? And did you? No. But did you win it? Yeah, you, you have identified yourself with them. So you cheer when they do well, and then you stomp your feet and get mad when they blow it. Right? That's simply what it means to when we trust not about Jesus, not just know something about him, Because lots of people know he died on the cross. Lots of people know that he was the son of God. Lots of people even know he was raised from the dead. But there's a difference between knowing this city has a football team and believing in it. And when we believe in it, we identify ourselves in a manner that what they did, we became a part of. I hope that helps you understand faith. So here's what we're going to do. We've been circumcised of the heart, yes? All right. By whom? By Christ. By God in Christ. When? When he died. Because when he who has died is freed from sin. So I want us to look at what Jesus did on the cross and what that means for us as we believe in him. First, when Jesus died on the cross, what he did in that moment is he paid the penalty for our sin. The wages of sin is death. So he took the punishment that we deserved. He was without sin, but he took the punishment for our sin. He paid the certificate of debt consisting against us. So that when we believe in him, not just know it about him, but we believe in him, what becomes true for us? I'm forgiven. Why? Because my penalty has been paid, not by me, but by the person in whom I have believed. Just like Abram. Abram believed, Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Not because of what he'd done, but who he believed in. And when you and I believe in the one who paid the penalty, we are forgiven. But he not only paid the penalty, he conquered death. So that when we believe in him, Because he conquered death, what do we receive? More than just forgiveness, what do we receive? Eternal life. Because we believed in the one who by his death conquered death so that death would no longer have reign over us. You tracking with me? This is the power of the cross, of believing in the one who died. 
who paid our penalty so that we would be forgiven, who conquered death so that we could have eternal life. And he conquered not only death, but he conquered the power of sin. And because he conquered the power of sin, when I believe in him, what is true for me? I begin freedom from slavery to sin. Now you may go, I, I know all this, or maybe not. Can I, just, can I just honestly share with you the first time I was, my eyes were open to the gospel. I'm sure I'd heard it pr- many times prior to that, but the first time I received the gospel, it was simply this right here. To understand that he had conquered death and that if I believed him, I wouldn't go to hell, but I would have eternal life. That's why I believed in Jesus. That's as much as I knew about what he had accomplished on the cross. I want you to think back. If you have trusted in Jesus, what were you trusting in him for? Some of you may go, oh, I was like you, Doug. Others of you may go, no, I had understood that I deserved the wrath of God because of my sin and I received and believed in Jesus for forgiveness because the guilt was just knocking me out. And then I learned that I had eternal life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Very rarely, When we first come to Christ, do we understand that the power of the cross is not only to forgive and to give eternal life, that the power of the cross was that that night that I believed in Jesus, what happened to my heart? What happened when you believed in Jesus to your heart? It was circumcised. There was a portion of it, not your physical heart, not with physical hands, but your slavery to sin was cut away so that the scripture would declare if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. You're a a new person in Christ because not only are you forgiven and not only have you passed from being under the penalty of death, but now you have eternal life, but you're a new person here and now to live out in your life, in your marriage, at your work, at your school, a new life because you have a new heart, a circumcised heart, that you were a slave to sin and now you are not a slave to sin anymore. I didn't know that. And because I didn't know it, even though I believed I was going to heaven, I still kind of lived the same old life I always did. Oh, I'd try. And some of you are like this. I'd go to camp. And for two weeks, I'd come home really determined to be different. And I would be for two weeks. And it was just back to them. Some of you are going, two weeks, man, I don't make it past Tuesday. Seriously. Uh, Doug, I just listen. You may be going. I, I don't understand this. I've always thought about salvation as something okay. I 
pie in the sky when I die. <laughs> it's eternal life. I feel better than forgiven. But I kind of still always say the things I always did. I'm still trapped into the same bad habits that I've always been trapped in. I still fly off the handle. My temper has never changed. My cussing has never changed. My pornography has never changed. Oh, I've tried, but it kind of always seeps away. I'm still just greedy and jealous, and I feel badly about it, but I can never change. You see, I don't know that you would ever thought that Genesis 17 would speak so clearly, but Genesis 17 answers this question of, if I'm made new, then why can't I change? And the answer is understanding circumcision. You see, if I'm made new, why can't I change? There's, the scripture gives us one of three options. First, you may not be born again by faith. And we've talked about that repeatedly this morning. Just because you come to church, just because you watch church, just because you read your Bible, just because you were baptized as an infant, doesn't mean you've been born again. You cannot live a new life until you become a new person. So you may be trying to do something new out of your own old heart. You must be born again. And we're not born again by our own efforts. How are we born again? By faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For you to change, you must be born again first. And you are born again by believing in Jesus and identifying with him. So I'll just ask again, are you for sure you're not just trying to be a better person when in fact you've never believed. Be born again. Trust in Jesus. Just declare to him, I've tried and I realize I can't. I need a new heart. And he will circumcise the heart. He will make you a new person so that you can live a new life. You must be born again by faith. Or there's a second reason. You may be born again, but you haven't known that you were one with Christ in death and resurrection. This was me. I had trusted in Jesus. I just didn't know the fullness of what he had accomplished on the cross. I thought it was all again about eternal life. I didn't know anything about abundant life a victorious life, a walking in the spirit. Scripture in Romans 6 defines it this way. Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And the answer is this, because I didn't know I died to sin. That's what he says, next verse. Or do you not know? And I didn't. And maybe you don't. And this is the gift of God to you right now to, for you to understand that the one you have trusted in for eternal life has circumcised your heart so that you can change because you have been made a new person. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, that has been identified into Christ, have been baptized into his death. This is not a water baptism. This is a baptism of being made one with him through faith. 
Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too, say it, might walk in newness of life. Based on what? My oneness with him in death and resurrection. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. See, it's his death and his resurrection that we are made one with him. Did you know that? Did you know that Christ didn't just die to get you to heaven? but that he died so that you might live a new life here on earth. And he not only died to break that slavery to sin, he poured his spirit into your heart so that as a new person with a new spirit, you might walk in a new life. That is the gospel. It was the foreshadowing of what he said to Abraham. Remove the foreskin as a symbol that one day I will remove the slavery to sin so that as my descendants, you will walk in newness of life. Or you may be born again and know your oneness with Christ, but not know how. Doug, I've heard this before. I just, just don't know how to really do it. So again, back to Romans 6. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It starts with consider, count it, reckon it, determine it, believe it. Say it over and over and over again in your mind. Continue. It's like you check your bank account. You pull up your app and you go, how much money I got? How much money I got? How much money I got? Do I have enough money? You pull up your spiritual app and you go, who am I? And, who, and what's that app say? Dead to sin, alive to God in Christ. Dead to sin, alive. Consider it, count it, believe it. And when you do, then sin won't reign in your mortal body. You won't have to obey its lust. But you won't keep presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead because that's who you are and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So how do we? We consider ourselves who we are. Who am I? Dead to sin. Why? Because my heart has been circumcised. My slavery to sin has been removed. And his spirit lives in me so that I can now live a new life identified in death and resurrection. I'm going to believe it. And then tomorrow when I get up, knowing who I am, I'm going to say, these eyes, this mind, these hands, this body, an instrument. Not to satisfy my flesh, because that's been circumcised, but to fulfill the desires of the spirit that now dwells within me. It's every moment of every day, considering myself, counting myself who I am, and presenting myself than to be an instrument through which he would live his life. But it all starts with considering who we are. So uh, a contemporary singer named Big Daddy Weave, and if you've 
ever seen him, you know why they call him Big Daddy Weave. He took Romans 6 and he put it to a song. And you see Matt coming up here. That's because I watch your eyes. I can't see your smiles, but I can see your eyes go. Look at the man walk. Okay. <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to do this song a couple times because sermons you forget. I hate, to, I hate to admit this, but here I am saying it publicly. Sermons you forget, songs you remember. Yes? Yeah? Yeah? If I could sing my sermons, we'd be golden. This is funny to think about. But we, one of the ways we can count, we can remember that tune that stays with us. So here's the words before you sing. He says, this is Romans 6, I am redeemed. You set me free. You have broken these heavy chains and wiped away every stain. Now I'm not who I used to be because I don't have to be the old man inside of me because his day is, say it, long, dead, and gone. What's he really saying? Because he's been circumcised, but that's just weird to sing a song and say circumcision in a song. So his day is long dead and gone because I've got a new name, a new life. I'm not the same and a hope that will carry me home. I am redeemed, right? Forgiven, stain removed. Go back. Forgiven, stain removed. Heavy chains, slavery, sin, broken. The old man inside of me, long dead and gone, circumcised. Just like Abram, new name, new life, not the same. Headed home, but until then, I am redeemed. Stand with me if you're at home. Don't bail out. Learning this, and this will just be the start. Learning it will be how we begin to count it to be true in our lives. I am redeemed You set me free You have broken these heavy chains And wiped away every stain Cause I'm not who I used to be I Oh.
Okay, you're going to have to hear that more than once. And that's the bridge. But just YouTube it. Download it. Listen to it. Big Daddy Weave, I am redeemed. So that you might just do what Romans 6.11 says. Consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That you might say to yourself, I'm not the man I used to be. He's long dead and gone. I have a new name, a new life. Where? Inside of me. I'm going to walk in that truth. And the change that's never been made in your life, the Spirit of God will begin to change as you present your body to be an instrument of righteousness, dead to sin, but alive to God in him. Before we dismiss, bow with me. And whatever it is, that's been that nagging thing that just never changes in your life. Would you, would you right where you stand, would you say, God, by the power of your spirit in me and by the work of Jesus done for me, would you change me? Would that which has been unchanging change, Lord? Envy, gone. Jealousy, gone. Lying, drunkenness, pornography, greed, lust, fear, worry, by the power of the cross, by the work of the Spirit of God in us, having circumcised us, Lord, would we reflect you to the praise of your glory and the fullness of our joy. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for for joining us this morning. Would you walk in newness of life according to what God has done in you, that he would be God to you. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into our Q&A. If you'd like to stay online and watch, you want to stay in the room. If you're over north, you want to come over. Uh, we're going to do a Q&A for 30 minutes, but thank you for being here. God bless. Walk in the spirit.